After a 20-year career in the Navy, working with everything from Force Recon to Debt One, which is the predecessor of MARSOC, to storied arming units, our guest is Matt Pranka. He's a avid shooter and teaches law enforcement, military, and civilians how to shoot really fast and hit what they're aiming at. Enjoy it as we talk trash and talk shop about fitness, shooting, and all things tactical. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the Do It Live podcast. We've got Matt Pranka here, and we're going to talk about a myriad of different things, but just to introduce Matt, uh, Invasion of Iraq Corman, right? Yep. Force Recon, and then uh, Debt One. Yep. Before, you know, finishing out your career, still training guys and, and in the game, so to speak. Yep, yep. Had Did 26 years total. Uh, been out for about three years now okay. doing the training thing and getting into this space. Cool. Yeah. Still, uh, Softlead is a fitness company. You're obviously still working out, still training. Still working out, still training. Um, obviously have to change. You got a lot more um, scientific in how I work out. You yeah, know? yeah. You Age change. is a motherfucker. Yep. <laughs> it's uh, catching up to you. So, no, but yeah, still working out, trying to stay as active, as physical as I can. Still retired totally healthy got no long-term issues so feel great nice so what we're going to do to kick it off is we're going to do the softly performance on demand drill and everybody's got a performance on demand drill so this one is the easiest or i'm sorry the simplest measure of a tactical athlete that i could think of you could do it rifle or pistol it's a 400 meter sprint 10 shots at 50 meters uh the part time is a minute 45 seconds with eight out of 10 hits on target. Anything above that is gonna be excellent. Anything below that is gonna be either telling you, hey, you need to work on your shooting or your fitness or both. Yeah, I think this sounds like it's a, it's a good balance. It's gonna be, or can be, the fitness can dominate it. I yeah. think with some of the things you see, right? if you're not, don't have a modicum of fitness, right. you know, or some sort of physical ability, this one's gonna crush you. Yeah, this one, it kind of crushes everybody because the really fit guys are still gonna wanna bust out a super fast time and they'll think, well, if I just run faster then I've got a little bit more time to shoot. And the reality is some of the guys running this are super fast. So you've got to push hard everywhere. You've got to push hard in the sprint and you've got to push hard shooting fast, but still keeping it dialed. 50 meters is no joke with a pistol. Some guys don't even want to shoot a pistol at 50 meters. No, it isn't. And I think that's one thing you've got to, guys need to know the tools they, they carry. I've heard it for years, right? If you don't know what your blaster can do at 50, you need to at least find out. Yeah, yeah. So uh, for a frame of reference, we're not gonna talk about it, any of the other drills and what they're about. Uh, the rest of the podcast is other topics, um, but we're both carrying concealed. Uh, we've both got our guns. I haven't checked zero because uh, it's part of my drill is you run what you brung. So you show up with your concealed carry gun as you carry it. Uh, in the same condition it is. So if you're one of the Israelis that carries that one in the pipe, then that's how you've got to run the drill. Uh, if you carry it how you should, then you should in theory be ready to go. So I'm, I'm curious if my red dot, the gun is still on. Um, we confirmed zero on yours, which is totally valid yeah, just to make sure. I did shoot from 50, shot a group, see where it's hitting. So I'm good to go. Yeah, cool. All right, well, let's, uh, let's go hit the drill. Awesome. I think I'm relatively ready. Uh, if not, we'll just do it live. See, that's the tagline. That's it. That's that. It. That's it. This is happening, whether yep. we want it or not. Exactly. All right, you ready? Yep. Stand by. Those targets look really far away. All right, seventy-one twenty-two. Oh. See, I didn't have my dot turned up enough. Woo! 92.68. Your turn. That's harder than it looks. That's a motherfucker. Which target you shoot? Far left. All right. For how fast you were going, I was like, oh, he's got plenty of time. And I'm like, I'm really kind of concerned about this time now for me. You got it. All right. All right, shoot ready? Yep. Stand by. I think he's gonna crush it. 
So what's fucked up is I'm hoping that the shot timer's still running. Matt kept time on his watch for me as a backup, but I have an analog watch and I forgot to look anyway. So hopefully I didn't fuck him because he's gonna have to do it twice. Ninety-four fifty-nine. That's fucking screaming, dude. Not bad for an old That's man. That's fucking screaming. All right, so both uh, under the par time. Uh, Matt cheated. He was sandbagging and said he was gonna be slow. So I'll go check him out now. Whew. You took off, and I was like, man, he's talking shit. He's gonna fucking crush this time. <laughs> dude, people are like, you're old fat. I'm like, I'm fat because I drink a lot of beer. <laughs> I work out a lot. <laughs> that one always, at first people hear it and they're like, doesn't sound that bad. Then they think about it and they're like, this is going to suck horribly. And then you run it and you, I don't think it's that bad after you run it. It's not that bad after you run it. It's, it seems like it's, it's a little intimidating yeah. before you do it. But I'll tell you, it tells you a lot about your shooting. So, so my question is, because I've seen you make fun of guys for doing stress shoots on the internet. How do you feel about this as a stress shoot and a training tool for the tactical athlete? So the, the law enforcement professional, the operator and team, the infantryman, if you will, just anybody who carries a gun for a profession. I think in terms of like a stress shoot, like it's, it's pretty valuable. You know, you can get it done. It's simple. Simple, simple setup. You can get it done with, uh, in a relatively short amount of time. Yeah. Right. And you're getting all the, all the, the takeaways from it, right? You're, heart rate's elevated, right. you're running a little bit, and now you have to perform what is a relatively basic skill while you're a little exhausted. Yeah, like it's real stress. It's yeah. pretty good. All right, so I'm at, I'm at eight out of 10 hits on paper. Yep. I'm happy with that. I had to turn my red dot up to see it because it's super bright out yeah. right now, <laughs> uh, which was funny, but again, it's, it's the run what you brung, you know. Yeah performance on demand, whatever you want to call that. Uh, to me, it's like, however your gun rides in your waistband or your truck or your gun safe, like that's how you run this thing. Right. No, I think it's good. It is performance on demand. It's too, it's a different view on like the shooting performance side yeah. than what I think most people generally focus on. No, I would agree with that. Yeah. It takes a lot of the fanfare out of it too, because if you look at like, I'm shooting a Glock 43 X with a red dot, tiny, tiny, tiny pistol. Are you shooting a compact pistol? No, I'm shooting a, this a P10F. Yeah, yeah, P10F, and you're a GM. So there's no, if there was a discrepancy in shooting skill, you've got the, the advantage, yeah. right? I, yeah, I think, so I'm eight of 10 too. I'm not real happy with that because I'm not calling the misses. So for me, is a big thing, right? right? It seemed like everything uh, was there. I'm holding right in the center of the A zone. So I'm hitting a little low, which, which is consistent, but I felt confident yeah. that it was there. I think. A couple of the initial shots um, just weren't there, and then you kind of slide in, get familiar with that, yeah. with how you're shooting in those conditions, and it tightened up a little bit. So, how do you feel about you're a big grip guy? Do you did you change your grip at all after you started shooting? No, locked in. Yeah, locked in one grip, like uh, you know, good connection to the the pistol, and then I keep that that same consistent, stable, durable grip yeah. throughout the whole thing. I think for this the pace that you're required to shoot, um, you don't need a lot of grip tension. Okay. Necessarily. Slower pacing because it's so far out. Yeah. I mean, yeah. probably shooting one second splits, maybe. That's probably aggressive. I think I sp sped up a little bit um, unnecessarily, but to me, that's, I am, when I shoot anything at distance or like a B8 bullseye or anything, the sight picture never looks better. Yeah. So when it's there, I send it. Yeah, yeah, I'm the same way. Yeah. I, like the trigger's always prepped and ready. And then as soon as it's there, at distance, as yeah. soon as it's there, it's like, all right. Yeah, it, it never, it the longer it sits out there, that sight picture never gets better for me. Right, yeah, I'm in the same boat. How did you, how do you feel? So I love this drill, like stress shooting to me. I love shooting competition of, of anything, right? If we are gonna sit out here at 25 meters with air guns shooting bullseyes, I would be happy to do it. Uh, USPSA was great. IDPA I even shot, even though it was so kooky. How do you feel that your 
fitness impacts your USPSA career? Do you think it matters that much? I, I think it does matter in terms of USPSA, the way that game is structured, it, really athletic guys, guys that move really well, JJ. they're agile. JJ, yeah. um, they have a leg up in that regards, right? Yeah. Now, there's other nuanced things that guys do in terms of, you know, sh the shooting so heavily weighted that you're not just going to... Well, and in like qualifiers, there's no qualifiers where you move a lot. No, no, yeah. Are they all stationary? No, not all of them. Okay. Some of the newer ones now, they're they're starting to be more like mini short courses, mini stages, which is nice. But the athleticism is a huge component in that the physical ability, but it's not it's not to, so much so to where, hey, if you're just really athletic and you can't shoot, you're not going to be good in that game. Yeah, I feel like it at one so when I was shooting USPSA consistently it was like 2012 to 15ish and you would see GMs that couldn't see their feet, any stages that had a lot of movement, they weren't doing that well, but they could burn down a qualifier. Yeah. And to me, it, that never sat well with me because I, I, I like the stage planning and the gamer aspect. I think that's all very cool and actually does apply tactically, which we could argue with those guys that say yeah. there's nothing to do. It's like it's a, it's a mind game yeah. with a gun in your hand. So how does that not apply, right? But right. it did not sit well with me. A guy who was could barely move would outshoot me in a qualifier and have a higher standing than I did, so, but in a match got his bag. So, so I think there's a lot of people that look at the classifications of USPSA and there, there are plenty of GMs. Like I would tell you, I'm probably one of them right now where if I were to shoot production nationals, I'm not going to do as well as I, as I would have maybe when I was in that type of form, right? right. The classification system is, it's a good, kind of overview of like, hey, where a guy's skills are, yeah. but how you measure it, right? There's plenty of GMs and M-class guys that don't finish in the positions in match standing that you would think they should. Sure. So it, it starts to be like, okay, maybe you're a paper GM right. kind of thing because the stand, you can make GM, hundo, and if you can stand and shoot really consistently, fast and aggressively and be accurate, you can get classified really high. Now, winning a major match, that's a completely different set of skills. Sure. And that's where I think people... I was definitely really into the classification, like figuring out the scoring system. It's a resume thing, man. It's like yeah. you can point to it and be like, I can shoot, I'm a GM. I never thought of it as like a resume. It was a goal that I had. Like, okay. hey, if I can demonstrate this skill in this game, sure. that that's going to be, it was just a goal that I set for myself. Um, but what I liked about it, it showed me so much about training. I made GM relatively quick and then doing well in bigger matches with that stress, that's a completely different skill that I kind of ignored while I was coming up. And now, you know, I think I've flipped in terms of mentality where I'm more concerned about match finish and how I'm shooting matches, not so much the stand and shoot stuff. You still are training for that, but the bulk of my training that's USPSA style training is done on stages now. How much of it, your training, cause you dry fire daily-ish, Every day? Every day. Every single day? Every single day. Okay. So if you have access to a pistol, you're dry firing. How much of that is concealed? How much is it USPSA gamer stuff? Or do you not care you shoot what's available? No. So, yeah, if I'm, if I'm in a location where I don't have everything, um, then I shoot what's available. For me, um, having multiple setups that I have to be proficient at or I want to be proficient at sure. keeps it really interesting to me. So I will, I will add a minimum dry fire um, concealed in either my competition rig or my duty teaching setup. I'll do that every day. So looking at two sessions, I try not to blend them in. I do short little sessions. So for me, it's better if I get multiple sessions throughout the day is I take a lot more from that than just doing like one 40 minute session. So you stay below the point of diminishing returns. Yeah. So that you have quality reps vice quantity. Yeah. I mean, I think I get a lot of quantity, but I do it quick. I pay attention to the cues, but I typically have two skills I'm trying to really drive into the ground. Yeah. And then once I feel like I've accomplished that or I'm satisfied with where I'm at through that session, I walk away from it. How much are you doing physical training with your dry fire? Do you blend the two ever or no? I don't because of the I think it. I don't know if the gym I work out in would like a... No, but you do, you dry fire in the hotel room, right? You, yeah. 
you know, like burpees and dry fire. And so, I was just curious if you. So it's funny. I, I did do that one time, right, where I was just I was going through like a 80 days from concealment, yeah. which I learned a lot for myself on how I like to train. But it was very boring to just do one setup and one system for that. Yeah. And then I did do what I would do was um, I would do 10 reps of um, 10 reps of a draw, like of a really short exercise, like two targets, put the gun in and then 10 either kettlebell swings, swats, I had a kettlebell in my room, uh, 20 push-ups, and then come back to it. And I just did that, like, hey, I'm gonna go for 20 minutes. Yeah. And I was completely obliterated. <laughs> what I've noticed for me is that um, from my military time, like Sergeant Major events, stress shoots, and things like that, I never, if my physicality was there, I didn't see a lot of diminishing returns right now you might not be as aggressive or performance based in your shooting as you would because you're accountable trying to make the shots you know go where you want them to go but i never saw like hey this just completely fell apart right so one of the things we did with the softly training programs is we looked at the attributes that made somebody successful specifically in selections because that's where you get good data it's a controlled environment And so the two of the data points the, the Canadian military actually had was that a, a high back squat and a high VO2 max were the two things that all selected candidates had. So it was a strong posterior chain. You're strong enough to carry shit, yep. basically. And then your aerobic capacity is there for you to actually be able to move from point A to point B. And so we broke down our training for, uh, this comes full circle, selection is a rucking event. And so the question is, if those are the two things you need to be good at rucking, do we need to ruck to be good at rucking? Or can we do other things to be good at rucking that are either more advantageous, safer, whatever you want to call it? And so you've kind of taken a similar approach to your firearms training where it's like, if I can shoot and my aerobic capacity and muscular endurance is there, I don't need burpees and dry fire. I could just do those things independently and get a better result. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll hypercritical on myself when I'm dry firing, when I'm training pistol, live fire, whatever. And I think the same thing when I'm doing physical stuff, Yeah. like I go, I'll go to the gym and I still have that mentality. Like I'm going there to crush myself because yeah. Yeah. it's some that's going to pay off at some point. I'm going to, it's going to hurt now, but it's going to be worthwhile right. in the end. And um, yeah, but I rarely combine them. Some drills I shoot, Sometimes go stop. Yeah, yeah. They're physical in nature. Yeah. So you could be warmups, very physical, yeah. but, um, but I typically won't do like kettlebell swings or weights and then shooting yeah i don't like the weights and then shooting that's well one of the times that i do it is when i'm working out in my garage and i'm doing like usually i superset for time so i'll I'll turn a regular workout into a quick workout by supersetting all of it and doing one long set with not a lot of rest but if i'm doing the two to three minute rest thing i get bored sitting there and i don't want to be on my phone so that's when I think I sent you a video, like I had a CZ on the floor while I was, I was bench pressing. So I would do my bench and then get up and dry fire with my CZ. And that was my rest time, if you will. And so that's when I'll blend the two. But I do think that there's value in the breath work that comes from, you just pushed it, now you have to dial in the shot. And so this comes, I, I, my question is, do you ever do any breath work or breathing? Cause you don't seem like a yoga guy to me. No, I'm not a yoga guy. I don't do, any uh, breath work or breathing. I look at um, kind of when I'm, when I'm training a lot, like how quickly I can recover. Yep. So I don't really, I don't keep track of my heart rate. I go like how I feel. So after I do a superset or something that's kind of lifting cardio, you know, kettlebells or multi compound movements, I pay more attention to how fast do I get back to like, okay, I'm reco- I, I assess, I feel better, I'm recovered. Right. I'm not breathing heavy anymore. And then I try to like, you know, more effort on the work side and then try to recover faster and faster in terms of just relaxing. And so when you're shooting and you do a stress shoot, whether it's designed to be or like the CQB warm up that just is physical, do you consciously think about your breathing or are you, or at some point did you consciously think about your breathing or do you just shoot now and it's kind of second nature? No, I think I'm, I think I don't, I'm not paying attention to my breathing. I'm gauging how much effort in terms of like, like RPE I'm putting in uh-huh. to this, this movement so that I know I've got to shoot when I get there. Okay. So you're metering your output so that yeah. you can shoot. So that I can deliver like this performance thing, right? CQB warmups got a lot of fixed part times that are really, really quick. So I know I, I just got to be, 
really aggressive to a point. Now I can decelerate. You like the part time. That's like the USPSA yeah. gamer in you to a degree. Where oh, yeah. You're like, hey, man, I got two minutes to shoot the drill. I'm taking two minutes and having a rat hole. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah. Makes sense. But I think in terms of like a test, you game it like that. But from a training standpoint, like if I were to train on this, I'm going balls out. Right. And then you're doing breathing drills on the back end yeah. to get. I'm trying to go max, max yeah, RPE of 10 while I'm running yeah. and then shooting. I'm putting everything I have into the shooting right. in terms of splits. And then I'm setting conditions where it's okay for me to, to fail. And then I just want to recognize why did I fail? And now the work in training in my mind is fixing that to where I can do both those things together at that high level. All right, so Matt was talking about uh, failure, which is actually our next topic of conversation. So I had to cut him off real quick and jump into El Prez. Of course, he's a gamer nerd, so he's getting a quick dry run in while I'm running my mouth. But we're gonna do El Presidente. So it's two shots on three separate targets, a reload, and then two shots on the same targets. Targets are supposed to be one meter apart, right? Yep. And the drill shot at seven meters? Shot 30 feet. Typically. 30 feet, okay. Yeah. So 10 meters ish. 10 meters ish. Yeah. We're eight. We're ish, yeah. Yeah, we're ish ish. So uh, luckily, we're not going for a classifier here or anything, but uh, Matt's going to show me how the drill's done if I can get his shot timer on. All right, shooter ready? Stand by. All right, 716. How's that for a time? Um, if you're on a classifier, it's very slow. Real slow. Yeah, but loading from the pocket. Yeah. From concealment, you know, for a pocket load, I'll take it. Yeah. It's, uh, it's not bad, but it's. Uh, do you ever carry a mag in your pocket day to day? All the time. All the time. Yeah. So one of the things I like to do is I carry a mag in my pocket all the time, and I see dudes that do that, but they never train like that, and. I just like making guys do it when they come out here. I mean, you offered. I was like, hey, you don't have to. The pocket mag's kind of one of the things I like to do. But you're like, no, I'll dump it in. Let's let's do it. Let's do it. Way. Yeah. So I like, uh, you know, training um, as I as I carry it. I, I do carry. I do a significant amount of that. Yeah. You know, I also doing a lot of the competitive stuff. I think that gets overlooked a lot. For sure. Yeah. For sure. All right. Well, I'm gonna run it. You got one uh, Charlie, right? And yep. the rest are uh, alphas. Alphas. So I'll do the gamer thing and check my gun. This is actually just a good practice. I'm not talking shit on gamers for that one. <laughs> All right, I got my pocket mag set up. Fix my bling. All right, shooter ready. Yep. Stand by. All right. 877. What is that? 877. That's not as bad as I thought it was going to be. No. I thought it was going to be a lot worse than that. And I've got one, one Charlie. I'm actually pretty happy with that. Yeah, it's not bad. No. I think too, you know, it's like anything else. I think a lot of people get confused about like performance and what's good, right? Instagram's ruining that yeah. for people like in to be able to deliver this like on demand right? Is the time competitive? Is the, would the hit factor be competitive? No, but it would be B class or A class level. Right. And so what I like about this is you, you are a very real GM. You shoot in matches at a GM level. You're not a paper GM. And so we're apples to apples. It's your carry gun. It's my carry gun. We've taken away anything somebody could say about the stage, whatever. And then we have truth in lending where it's like, we're at eight meters, we're not at 10. We didn't yeah. measure it out. We didn't measure out the one meter between targets. You could poke holes, but I still get to see apples to apples. I'm yeah. shooting a concealed gun. I'm, I would say I'm a very competent shooter and I, you have on paper, you're a GM, you're a top 1% of all shooters. So it is cool for people to see, okay, this is what reality looks like instead of like an Instagram highlight reel. Right, and that's where I think too, when people see training if they, they don't understand, like when I'm training with other guys, like top level guys, the training's very ugly. It's very dirty. For sure. Like it doesn't look clean. Right. Like we're obviously feeling, hey, I want to deliver a nice, clean, consistent run. Right. Right. And that's what that looks like. And you do the same thing. But when you're actually training and you're pushing, right, it's a much, much different picture. For me, typically, if we were doing the shoot house and I threw a Charlie, that is not satisfactory shoot for either of us. That is not yeah. satisfactory shooting. It's got to be a zone tight a zone really right yeah. like if you saw a guy who was all over the a zone you kind of be like eh, 
that ain't it, right? Like we want that rat hole when it's very realistic training. Yeah. Most of the time on the flat range. And that's for me, how I always designated was like, get dirty on the flat range, really dial it in the house. Right. You, I think I would always look at it like there's conditions that, cha that are ever changing, right? Where if we're doing, there's times when we would push with CQB. It's just the team training CQB. Sure. By all means, that's when I want mistakes to ha happen, right? Now we're, we're with the troop. We're not gonna, hey guys, tighten it up, right? It look, we're still pushing, right? But no, no, no shoots, no off target misses, right. no mics, no real shots, not a five, because those are gonna have consequences. Yep. You're with, you know, a bigger group. You're doing something that's high vis and people are watching it as a training event. Now it's like we're getting closer to zero defect, like right. no fail type stuff. Yep. So how we talked about, I cut you off at talking about failure. One of the things that I've seen, I'm gonna blend two topics together, is guys are afraid, afraid to fail in front of the camera or afraid to not be the superhero that they've created on the internet in front of the camera. But my thought process with that specifically is like, if you are that dude, then you don't, you perform the same whether there's a camera there or not, right? You can't. Yeah. You're not faking the funk, you're just doing movie magic. And so my question is, one, how do you deal with failure personally when you're on the camera and off the camera? So I would say off the camera, I, I am brutal to myself. Yeah. Right, I, I'll, I rarely will walk off a training session where I'm like satisfied. Okay. Right, I'm always learning, but I think you have to fail. And then even when it looks really good and you, the performance is there, like I'm, I'm filming it, you always come back and you shoot holes in it. Like it can be better yeah, or sure. that didn't feel like I was putting a lot of, I didn't feel like I was an RPE of eight on that run. I felt like I was more in like a hold mode where I'm just doing it conservatively. So I'm brutal with that on the camera. It's the shooting. It is what it is, right? For me, the one thing I don't ever want it to be is what guys see in social media. And then I do a class or I show up and I shoot differently in the class. Right right? My shooting is my shooting. Yeah. Your highlight so, reel is not what you're putting out only. You're showing all of it. Showing all of it, right? This is, and to me, it's important where it's like, like, I think you said it before, it's like a truth in lending type thing. Right. Hey, this is how I shoot. These are my thoughts on shooting, right? right? This is my process. Cause I think when you look at this specifically, it's a lot of, it's like fitness. You're, there's a start point, but there's really no end point. For sure. It's just a journey that you're on. Right. And then the end point is either you're not here anymore, or you just, you decide to actively quit. Right. So the other piece to this is like you said, it's a journey. It's like life, but it's a roller coaster. There's ups and downs. Oh, like yeah. I'm sure you're not at your peak of shooting right now. Have you been better at shooting? Have you been worse is kind of the question. Like for me, oh. I've been a way better shooter than I am today. Cause it was like, I was shooting twice a week, three times a week. Now, I race and ride dirt bikes more than I shoot. Yeah. And so my shooting's gotten much worse. And I'm sure you're in the same boat where you've hit those peaks and valleys. Yeah, it's up and down constantly, right? And and then some some things too, you'll have, you know, things that creep in mentally that are like stymieing your progress. Right. And then trying to break through those plateaus, right? Or if, hey, I'm just in a low point. And I, I've kind of changed the way I look at that to where, to me, it's important to train in those times where before I'd, I'd look at, look at it from like a resource standpoint where I would just step away. Hey, I don't want to commit any more of my time or, or ammo to this, but now I see value in, okay, now I've got to perform. Okay. I don't feel good. I don't feel up to it. You still need to deliver. Okay. That's interesting. Cause we talked earlier about the point of diminishing returns. And so on a longer spectrum, do you feel like you're pushing through that? Or do you feel that it's just the consistency of effort more than the intensity? I think it's both. both. I think you're playing with consistency of effort and intensity, yeah. right? And then consistency of effort, I control. Sure. Intensity, sometimes external factors influence right. that more than it should. So one of the things that I do for kind of everything, but mostly in physical training and on the bike, is I control my intensity of training to allow for more consistency. Does that make sense? Yeah. So if I'm like, man, I feel dog shit tired. I've only been sleeping for four hours. I intentionally don't train as hard so that I can train yeah. and I keep that consistency going, which over 20 years has obviously made a difference, you know, for, for me, right. It's made a difference. Whereas when I was hitting the intensity hard, 
get an injury, time off, get back to it. And intensity was so high at all the times, it crushed my consistency. And then that roller coaster ride was much worse yeah. for me. And I, I think too, you're, it's like, it's kind of comparing um, apples to oranges where on the physical spectrum, yeah, riding a dirt bike is way more physical than USPSA, than, than USPSA or right. shooting. Um, and, but I could see like, yeah, the, if I want to be consistent in my training, if I get injured or I get to a point where I'm mentally exhausted, right, I'm out. not going to train anymore. And I think you've got to approach maybe physical training a little different. To me, I think of when I'm going to use these skills, I'm probably not going to be feeling great. That's fair. And that's where I think there's some value in pushing through that. It's not something that I'll do regularly, but you know, times if I'm out there and it's just not clicking, now the fight starts. You got to fight through that and you, you've got to produce because I, I look at shooting where this is performance-based work. Absolutely. You have to produce yeah. results. Effort doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter. Everybody's, it's irrelevant. It's everybody's irrelevant. trying really hard, yeah. man. You need to make the bullets go where you want them to go and you got to get them there quick. Yep. It's like doing a burnout versus accelerating, right? You can yep. try as hard as you want. You're not going anywhere, but if you're moving, you're moving, right? Yep. The, like you said, the effort really doesn't matter. It's irrelevant, which is frustrating at times. I'll give you that. Like we all know the dude that was super talented who didn't work for shit and was yep. like just super athletic. And then there's the rest of us that we're not and busted our ass to get there and we're on the same playing field or maybe he's even better yeah, I think even when you get guys that are are super talented and you combine that with with a solid work ethic and they're working hard, you look at anybody that's successful in sports, they're working more than everyone else. Oh, absolutely. Right. So here it's like I get it. We're all working hard. Everybody it's ups and downs or whatever. But what we're doing, this is this is a results based business. Yeah, absolutely. We got to get the results. Yeah. All right. Well, let's go shoot another drill. All right, so we've got the uh, Texas stars set up at about 10 meters. We're going to do one Texas star, lateral, 10 meters, one Texas star. And I like the Texas star because it fucks everybody up. Lots can go wrong here. Uh, have you shot a Texas star recently? Not recently. You don't see them in USPSA. You see uh, them in other stuff a lot. Yeah, club matches, you can have them, but in um, level twos and above, they're not, not an authorized prop. Oh, really? Yeah, because they fail too much. That's interesting. Well, we're going to shoot it because this isn't a match. Let's do it. All right. And I'll shoot it first. I should have put that in there. Right, put it in there now. <clears throat> Let us know when you're good, Max. Good. Are you going to just use the uh, tripod or are you running as well? Don't look too happy about it. All right, so I'll go first this time. We'll just keep alternating. You went first last time, right? Yep. All right. All right. Sounds good. All right. Shooter ready. Ready enough. Stand by. I just hope I don't need more than one mag. Got that pocket mag. Does that count? <laughs> I think that one got that that plate just said I'm it, done. It got it scared. I heard no report and it just <laughs> fell off. Uh, that was horrible shooting. It wasn't We're, that bad. It was pretty bad. I've seen worse. I've seen worse as well. That was pretty bad. I felt like I was on it a few times and then just fucking not on it at all. That's Well, you said it at the beginning, man. This prop, yeah, it can give you problems. Well, yeah, it hurts your feelings. 100%. All right, you ready to run it? Yep. Oh, uh, we got to reset. Fourteen fifty-five. Ah. I don't even remember my time. Twenty-four twenty-six. <laughs> I remember it. You just missed faster. I did miss faster. Still too many makeups. You know, it's 
it's too many makeups with the time, whatever. Well, like you said earlier, you, I, I agree with, you got to call your shots. And that was the weird thing for me running this was that I wasn't calling my misses, which is weird for me. Usually I'm so fast on a makeup shot because I know that I had that miss that it's like, bang, bang. Like you almost wonder if it was an ND that missed. Yeah. Um, I don't wonder that. People watching would wonder that, right? It's a very quick makeup shot. And that's kind of the cadence you were at was very fast makeup shot. Yeah, and see, to me, it felt slow. Like, I felt like I had really high levels of confirmation, right? And then, obviously, shooting moving plates, trying to trap them. Yeah. You know, the strategy, it is what it is. But, yeah, for me, it's still too many makeups. All right, so we left it off. Horrible segue, resetting the Texas Star. But I, I got a hit on uh, – I don't usually talk big on, on guys' backgrounds. Usually, we have other stuff. But you were a part of Debt One, which, to me, is a really cool thing. I was a Marsoc guy, which was – the follow-on to debt one so i do want to kind of drill into debt one how force recon got the boot out of socom and jsoc like that whole history piece yeah so debt one came to be i think um probably 2002 ish as an idea yep. uh, as, as i understand it and then with an activation in um in 2003 yep. may mayish 2003 uh, I was fortunate. I was a, a recon, um, recon IDC. I had the opportunity to go there. Uh, I was on the third team as an assault medic, um, and it was a it was a great experience, man. It was a stacked platoon. It was like the rock stars from all the different platoons and places, right? Like it, that was what you know coming in after that. That's yeah, what we were told. It was great TLs, great assistant team leaders. Everybody was really senior. You know, it was like all the. Anyone that was like doing a special project somewhere where they were selected for it, they kind of came back to this. Like the Intel guys all came from the right places. Um, yeah. You know, TLs were great. It, it, it was a good experience. It was properly resourced, tons of funds, tons of equipment, tons of gear. Um, and then the platoon sergeant who was running it was a very high performing, you know, high frequency type guy. So he trained, he tested us and trained us non-stop like everything was an event was Just a competition yeah it was balls to the wall so that got staffed from recon force recon communities and then it immediately fell under socom jsoc how did that fall under so when it yeah it it immediately we um I, we never fell under like socom control yep. um i think we were still it was an 06 command yeah. now we deployed under a task unit an nsw task unit okay so that was you know, we deployed under an 05 command, our CO stayed back and we took the XO was the ground force commander for going for going out. Um, and one test deployment, right? That's all that it, it was one test deployment. You know, it, I think they kind of looked at like, hey, is this going to work? And you're like, well, you take the best dudes in a community that I know is very high performing anyway. Already. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to work like. I felt like the deployment was a moot point, but I think it was to prove it, hey, the, this level of interoperability can work in the Marine Corps. Um, but then the idea of the Marines having, it was a, a much bigger scale than just a, you know, a 30-man operational platoon and a 96-man uh, unit. Right, so I came in after that, and basically all of my deployments were working with other units, other countries, whatever it was. Was the crux of the issue that nobody thought Marines could play nice with the other services? Or I guess my question is, why would you need a test shot to take special operations guys to go do special operations? Like, that's a weird yeah. thought process. I think it, I, I don't know as much as it's a test shot or maybe it's it's so calm. Like, hey, you said no years ago. Now you're going to pay some penance, prove it'll work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You guys fund it, resource it. Um, yeah, I don't know exactly like the big strategic general level, you know, conversations that yeah. they had, but I do know that that pl it was designed to succeed yeah. and it was going to succeed at all costs. No matter where you went or what you yeah. did. Yeah. And you guys went to Iraq, right? Yeah, we went to Iraq. Um, we did about a seven month deployment there. We're working for an NS, uh, NSW task unit. It was a good time. You know, yeah. at 04 in Iraq was really busy. Uh, we got into some fights. You know, it was all resourced in a way, though, that like was so foreign to Force Recon and the Marine. Like, right. You had like uniforms without holes in them and shit. Yeah. Not even that. <laughs> Just from, you know, from an operational side, it was, 
we didn't go out, we never went out without an AC-130, right. right? And dedicated casts and fires platforms and ISR, plenty of lines, you yeah. know, a real jock that's constantly targeting, guys that know how to target, right? right? The whole F3EA process, you know, they were all in tune with it coming from JSOC units. So yep. um, it was it was a great, great time, man. I had a blast doing that for a couple years. So you did debt one a couple years and then how did it disband? Did they just walk in one day and they're like, hey guys, pack your shit, you're going back to the Marine Corps? So I think the writing was on the wall yeah. and if you just kind of sat and watched it, you started to see like key people going back, returning to their units. So they didn't say, hey, we're gonna do this stand-up unit in 03 and then we're gonna disband in 06. Th that wasn't mapped out previous to coming on. No, so we got back from the initial deployment and went right back into working up for another deployment. Okay. Thinking we would go back out again. Um, and as then- As debt one. As debt one. Got then it. it just rolled into, hey, what does it look like to stand up MARSOC? And I think that the easy answer was, hey, we're gonna take the force, these are all force recon guys. We're gonna take the force recon companies and rename them. Yeah, I mean, that's literally, they took down the flag one day and put up a new one, right? Yeah, and it happened overnight. And then, then they had the structure. But I think ultimately, like, growing anything in that way, I was never at, you know, MARSOC proper, but I think that created problems where they're trying to identify, you know, lineage and where do they draw their, their kind of history from and but at the same time i think they wanted to be like we don't want it from recon so that's kind of how the raiders yeah the marine raiders, raiders thing came up because i was a recon guy before i went to marsoc and so the marine corps is massive on history and i wish they were massive on operations in the future because to me there there was always talks of like the lineage like you're talking about yeah. and i'm like man i don't give a shit like where are we going to work tomorrow right like are we what's what's the work ahead of us I came from recon, yeah, I'm proud of that, but now we're at MARSOC, does it matter where this came from? Or should the talk be about where we're going in the future? I think that's, you know, for on the staff level, they're just trying to, to come up with a culture that's gonna set them up for success. Right. And, I, and it's kind of funny, like they look to the test bed as force recon, but they somehow saw that culture as being flawed for MARSOC. And, and then the Raiders came in, and I don't know if it's the scale or, you know, for me, I am very proud of the time that I spent in the recon and force recon community. Right. Like, I think that that culture was phenomenal for me as a developmental guy, right. young, young Navy dude coming up, you know, getting yeah. to, into the, the combat type business. Yeah, that's interesting. So you guys disband, you get kicked back to the Marine Corps while MARSOC kind of stands up with the flags changing. You guys wrote, allegedly an after action and publication that was like, this is how you stand up MARSOC. And so some of the takeaways, uh, we were handed that when we went through the MARSOC operators course years later. And some of the takeaways were like, don't put MARSOC in Camp Lejeune or Camp Pendleton, you know, put it in, I think Bridgeport was the number one choice because you have all these different environments you can train in and driving yeah. distance. And there was some really cool thoughts and ideas that to me, they should have hit on and they just, they took the best parts of it and like, nah, we're not gonna do that. We're just gonna take force recon guys and teach them how to train indigenous forces and boom, Raiders are born. Yeah, I think you had a lot of guys at the officer level yeah. that owned a lot of really expensive houses <laughs> in a certain area and yeah. they weren't moving for anything. Yeah, that makes sense. But I, yeah, that was one of the big takeaways. Like, hey, if we had to do this all again, don't put it on Camp Pendleton. Right, get like, it away from the flagpole. Yeah. yeah, ideally it's like you want you want to get into this, put it next to one of the headquarters, right? right? Put it down in Florida, put it in, in North Carolina, okay. right? At appropriate bases, right? Yeah. Get it off of a Marine base. Because I think what they saw too was, you know, there's, there's always been like a point of contention, I think with the Marines that, hey, this group of Marines is different than the other group. Right. When the fact, I mean, they are, yeah. you know, all Marines are, are one way and there's that pride and esprit de corps and the camaraderie but you have to acknowledge that these guys are doing something different than maybe these guys. What I say is we take the best qualities for that job and then we ditch the qualities that didn't apply and that's what selection does. Do you have these qualities to be detail oriented, to be able to suffer and run through the suck? The, the willingness to do the job, which is a whole other podcast uh, topic to me, is, is just that will to actually go do the job. So you select for all of that, but then all the things that don't help the job we kind of cast aside and 
you know, some people say it loosens things up, but really it's just a focus on the things that matter. Yeah, I think in this business, you know, when you have organizations like that, you have to be very polarized in your in your thought process, right? And how you're going to go about business. And a lot of it, it's it's an efficient way to look at it. Right. You're just, hey, we're not going to do any of the stuff that doesn't matter. Militarily, though, like the Marine Corps sees that as it's good order and discipline. Right. What their perception is that's going away. And you're like, we're the most disciplined. Absolutely. Yeah. Discipline it's just a runtime, not a haircut, right? A hundred percent. So, all right, well, in that vein, so we're going to get down to brass tacks. You've got the CQB warm-up drill, which is yep. your drill, right? You came up with it? Yep, I came up with it. Yeah, so it's rifle and pistol. Rifle and pistol shot from 40 uh, to 7 at different yard lines, different strings of fire. One running time. Nope, it's, it it's, is, it's it is segmented yeah, it's different, different strings have different part times. Okay, cool. You ready to run it? I'm ready. All right, all right so I got a mag of 30 loaded. Yep, MAGA 30 loaded. So the first string of fire is static from the 40. It's two rounds on each target standing, two rounds on each target prone, part time of six seconds. So standing to the prone, two, 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 two. Yep. Okay. So two on each standing, go prone, two on each prone. How do I have to wear my sling? You can wear it however you want. Do I have to have my barrel up or down? You can start in the hunt. I'm gonna be in the depressed ready, which is like the normal ready, but sad. <laughs> That's. Depressed ready is good. All right. You got the timer? <laughs> I got the timer. All right. <coughs> All right. Gold time, six seconds right here. Yep. All right. Stand by. Where are we at? 862. Oh, Jesus. I got to move faster. It's, it's moving fast, so the way this is broken down, the way that I, I give it, I'll give you two seconds to engage uh, two targets with two rounds each, two seconds to move to prone, and then just under two seconds to finish the engagement. All right, well, let's go to the next one. All right, the next string is from 40. It's two rounds on each target standing. We're going to run to 20, two rounds on each target standing at 20. Okay, do I have to run fast? Part time's nine seconds. I have to run really fast. You need to shoot fast and run shoot fast. fast. The part times are there to force you to shoot in a way that you're not going to be comfortable shooting. All right, let's go. Shooter ready. Yep. Stand by. Eight seventy-four. And eight's the part time. Nine. Oh, so we're under. You're under. That's good. Are we shooting for alphas or Charlies or our mics good? Mics are not good. So we're shooting, for, this is gonna be measured in points. Okay. Points in time. All right. All right, so the next string is starting at 20, two rounds on each target from 20. You'll run up to 10, two rounds on each target from 10. All right. Part time for this is seven seconds. Okay. Stand by. 654. Sliding in barely. Sliding in there barely. Don't look at the hits. All right. The next one is three rounds on each target. Okay. That'll force you to bolt lock. Okay. Transition to your pistol, three rounds on each target with the pistol. Okay. All right. Three, three, transition. Three, three. Okay. Right. Goal time out of duty stuff is um, five seconds for this. We'll give you six going from concealment. Concealment. All right. All right, three on each. Can I get six and a half? Yeah, you can get as many as you want. All right. The time's the time. Three on each. All right, shooter ready. Yep. Stand by. 637. So we're under. We're, we're, we're under the time that you want it you to be. You gave me a second. Yeah, from five to six. All right. And that was 637. You asked for oh. 650. Five is the standard? Yeah. That's fucking fast. It is fast. Uh, the next course of fire is starting weapon on fire, finger on the trigger, aimed at one of the targets. Okay. And on the buzzer, you're going to transition to your pistol and fire three rounds at each target. Okay. All right. Goal time for this is four seconds. Okay. All right. So I get five because I'm from concealment, right? You get five. All right. You can have 10. I can have 10. You can have as much as you I want. I might need 10. All right. I yeah. don't think you're going to need 10. <laughs> All right, weapon on fire, finger at the trigger, aimed at one of the targets. Stand by. 
Was it two, two? Was it three and three? Yep. Oh, okay, cool. Yep. And what were we at? Three, six, three. So we're good. That's good. Oh, man. Right? The, the focus of this, right, it's stressing purposeful, consistent gun handling. Right. It doesn't need to be lightning fast. So I just needed to get closer. Maybe. All right. This next one, same starting position, weapon on fire, finger on the trigger, aimed at one of the targets. And on the buzzer, you are going to speed reload your rifle and engage each target with three rounds. Okay. Can I do a regular reload or does it have to be a speed reload? Well, it's a bolt lock reload. We're, you're just trying to set the internet on fire. That's right. All right. <laughs> After the reload, three on each target. Goal time, five seconds. Yep. Stand by. I can get a reload. 606. <sighs> Not bad from the pocket load. Yeah, it was the pocket load. That's what yeah. we'll call it. So if we come down and score it, right, The what I consider... If you make all the par times, right, the score I'm looking for is 208 points. Okay. That represents 85% of the available points. We have 18 rifle and six pistol on each target, and I score it minor power factor scoring. So provided they're all there, 2, 4, 6, 8, 10, 14, 16, 18, 20, 22 down, that's two, uh, uh, 22 down is 218. Okay. So the hits are good, yep. right? It's just now we got to get, get those faster. hits in the time. Okay. So accuracy is there, speed's not. Yep. And this is a pure shooting drill. It's pure shooting. Took fitness out of the equation. Yeah. It, you don't need to be, I mean, what I've noticed too from, from like the performance side and agility, most guys that are relatively fit are all running shorter distance about the same. Yeah. Unless you're dealing yeah. with very, very like, you know, high level athletes NFL guys that can generate a lot of power really fast you know those guys will crush the time but even then when you take and put a rifle on somebody it takes away a lot of that speed you know just carrying a rifle will take away a lot of that speed. yeah i think too the way that guys conceptualize you see it all the time running with a pistol and people think they're really sprinting but what you get is that kind of like tactical prance yep is what I call tactical it. turtles, what I call it. Yeah. And, and that's where I love, you know, the competitive side. The one thing you will disconnect from is because time is a factor, right? You want to minimize that dwell time. If I'm not shooting, I move really aggressively to get into the next position where I can start shooting again. Cool. Standing on each target, two rounds prone on each target. Yep. And you got a gun in your waistband, appendix carry. How do you think that's going to work out? It's going to feel amazing when I lay on it. Yeah. It's, you'll like it. It's going to feel like I have about two pounds of plastic and metal inches away from your dong from the business yeah all right shooter ready stand by wait hold on. oh all right ready <laughs> 605 what's part time six seconds six flat yeah all right a little bit I don't like that, but... I like it. I like it. it I think within the three-tenths, though, for the timer, yeah. that's still considered good. Uh, I, I, I wouldn't say this is considered bad by any means. That's moving. All right. Two on each target from 40, run up to 20. Two on each target from 20. All right. Shooter ready. Stand by. All right, we dropped a pocket mag. The pocket mag. But we're at 7.44. What's part time? Huh? What's part time? Nine seconds. Nine. So you're at 7.44. So yeah. you got time to spare. Yeah. Do you get rollover time like T-Mobile? That would be nice. It would be nice. <laughs> the, uh, so two on each target from 20, run up to 10. Two on each target from 10. Okay, cool. You need tighter pants. To I do. That mag. I know. On the butt cheeks. All right, you ready? Yep. Stand by. Five fifty-nine. All right. Three rounds on each target with the rifle. Transition to the pistol. Three rounds on each target with the pistol. All right. So three-three transition. Three-three. Yep. All right. Goal time five seconds. Under five seconds. Shooter ready. Yep. Stand by. Five fifty-one. Five fifty-one. All I'll right. take that from appendix. Yeah, that's pretty good from appendix, I'd say. 
So I'm at boat lock, starting position, aimed at the target, transition to pistol, three rounds on each target. All right, shooter ready. Stand by. Three fifty-nine. All right. Five-second part-time, or is that a four-second part-time? That's a four-second part-time. Yeah. So you wrote the part-times off of a GM pushing it. No, the part-times. The part-times are based on. They're very conservative gun handling yeah. and aggressive shooting. Got it. Right. Makes so, sense. Yeah. So like that, I for the transition, I give guys, you know, at seven, one point five seconds to transition. Yeah. Right on. So. All right. What's the last drill? Now it's gonna be uh, speed reload and then three on each target with the rifle. All right. You got that pocket mag ready to go? I got it. Stay on by. 309. 309. So All right. I'll take that from the pocket. Yeah, well, let's count them. I'm gonna look at it. All right, two, four, six, eight, 10, 14 down. 226. 226. That was 218, right? Yep. Yeah. Damn, that's solid shooting. That's a lot of A-zone. It's a fun drill. That is a fun drill. That's a good one. And it's simple, it's not simple. easy. Simple, not easy. All right, so we're wrapping up our day of shooting, and the last question on my docket that I sent to you is, why are you such a bully on the internet, man? I don't think I am a bully on the internet. Because you don't seem that scary in person. I'm not scary. I think I don't think I'm a bully on the internet. I'm, I'm amazed. You know, obviously, I understand the delivery and what people think of that, like right. calling things out. Um, to me, it's it's important. The dialogue is like however you get guys into it. Um, I think a lot of guys in the training, the training industry, the training space. In my opinion, this is just my opinion. Don't take what we're doing as serious as they should. So this is like, we talked about this offline, you know, at the end of the day, we're not teaching people how to work out, right? You're, you run these classes for, you know, whether it's responsible citizens, law enforcement, military, you know, guys that carry a gun for a living, they're going to call on this information. It needs to be solid information. I would agree with that. And so one of the things that I have said is that you, like, you are not a person that can't be disagreed with but you're passionate and you're fighting an argument or your argument, right? Yeah. So, so you're somebody that's like, hey, if I know something, then I'll defend that point. But one of the things that I respect is you don't throw the resume on the table. You're like, hey, let's talk through this logically. Because that's yeah. one of the beauties of tactical shooting, we'll call it, tactics, really. One of the beauties of tactics is that it all has to be held accountable with logic, right, and facts. Yeah. And you might have experience that backs that up of, hey, you know, Back in my day, a 45 didn't kill somebody, and so that's why we went to yeah. a 50, right? <laughs> but uh, the reality is if it doesn't pass the sniff test, then you're going to go after it, right? And, and I think I don't, I try my best to not lean on a pedigree or a resume or anything because I want people to start looking at things with a critical eye, right. more so than they do. I think too many times guys will say, hey, you know, Brent's offering training. I like Brent's internet persona. Everything he says is gospel. And they, they fall in line and get into these camps and these way of thinking without ever like actually critically looking at what they're doing or what they're trying to accomplish. And even if it makes sense, right? At the end of the day, there's a lot of, a lot of companies I think that look at this. It is a business. Everybody is, um, you know, trying to make money. It's not a hobby, but it's, it's how you, you're making that money. Yeah, and I, would, I think that that's important. I would say guys have a responsibility. One, you have a, a, a good friend to me. I've got good friends, or I've got friends that always tell me everything I'm doing is great, but my great friends will tell me like, hey man, you're fucked up, you should fix this. And so one, I think guys need to have thicker skin that are being called out. You know, hey, this is wrong. But then also realize you doing something incorrectly doesn't mean that you're all the other things you've done are negated, right? And so you can open yourself up to like come out here and lose a pistol competition to a USPSA Grandmaster, even though I was a big bad Marsoc dude. You can open yourself up to that and then learn something from somebody. So I was picking on you about your bad lever because I haven't seen somebody run a bad lever in a long time since they came out. 
and you're like, hey man, I can clear a malfunction faster, right? And so the internet argument would be like, the bad lever is stupid because a beginner is gonna shoot themselves in the dick if they have a bad lever on and they're trying to manipulate the weapon, they're gonna have an ND. I've seen the internet arguments, yeah. right? And the logical in-person argument is, hey man, like if you can't run that, then you can't run it. If you don't wanna teach it to students because you think that it's not best practice, then it's up for debate, right? Not everybody runs a bad lever. No, it is, it is up for debate. For me, from from my experience, it's it's been an effective addition to my rifle, right. right? It's outside of what I need on this operationally. It's the only like, accoutrement that I put on. Yeah, that's why I noticed it because you both were similar in that my rifle is really bare. There's not extra shit on it. I don't want a ton of pizzazz, so to speak, maybe yeah. a softly grip, you know, so there's some branding or a sticker, but uh, there's no pizzazz on, on any of my guns. And so your rifle is basically the same way except the bad lever, which is why I noticed. I was like, huh, that's a, it was weird to me, basically, based on everything else that we've like gone through and done. And for me, it's like in this, it, you take that as a as a conversation or a debate. Like I can clearly articulate why I use it. For sure. And then my experiences with it, I've heard everything from like your sling's going to get caught up in it, and and nothing that I've done have has the sling worked its way. I would say if your sling can get caught on this, your sling can also get caught on the trigger. Right. But no one's talking about that, so yeah. it turns into this like. A, said, camp, said, a camp thing, right? Where what I'm when I'm considered like a bully on the internet, like I can clearly articulate why my rifle is set up the way it is. If someone disagrees with it, I'm willing to hear that point, right? right. I'll never argue it from a position of authority, and that's what a lot of guys are doing. Like, well, you should listen to me because, and then the resume drops. Right. And and, and to me, that make the the argument becomes invalid. No, and I've seen guys that you called out that's the proper term for it come on the uh the redneck live redneck live right yeah and hash it out with you guys and be like no this is why this was or this is why that wasn't and arrive to a, a conclusion and, and i guess my point is let's say you are a bully on the internet and you tell somebody hey that's fucking stupid because you're being direct and to the point the reality is is there's probably truth to that argument and they at least need to hear it right and and then reevaluate is Matt full of shit and wrong or is he correct? That's where I, I think I like the live discussion to where let everyone see it. Let everyone form their own opinion. Make your argument. I'll make mine. Right. But if we're both talking about it, that's the most important thing. You have two guys who are looked at by, you know, followers or potential customers or whatever that are in this space training and they're talking about training. Right, and then they arrive to best practice, right? To me, it's yeah. kind of an AAR across the 2A or gun industry where you're like, hey, you're putting out that the bad lever's the shit. I think it's dangerous because I watched a guy in winter glove shoot himself in the foot with a bad lever. Now let's figure out what's best practice across the industry, right? So right. like, you've got a bad lever on your gun, you've got pressure pads on your gun. And I was really anti-pressure pad because I had a teammate we had a bad breach and he goes in the door and the like shards of the door ripped his pressure pads out of his yeah. uh, pack. And then he was basically blind in this room. So I'm like, I saw it happen once and I'm like, pressure pads are coming off of my rifle, right? And so the reality is, what is the chance of that scenario ever happening again? It's probably slim to none, right? Yeah, and that's where I think I don't build any practices or systems that I, for myself, built around the one of. Right. thing or or you see guys that start to have these really hypothetical nuance and you see yep. it in tactics yep. cqb is the hottest one where it's like the from my experience the guys that start talking like that you don't even know what you're talking about anyway right like if that's where it goes there's so many other things principle based that we can talk about with regards to cqb but you're you've latched on to this one thing one piece of CQB it's, or one piece of kit. It's yeah. it's just like if you, if it takes you twenty words to explain something that you can explain in five, that is the number one like marker that you don't know what you're talking about. Right. Or they have to the, the number one to me is when somebody pulls out the resume. Like if I'm like, hey man, I think bad levers are stupid and you're like, Well, and you I'm a GM in USPSA. Yeah. Like, well, what's that have to do with the bad lever, man? Let's talk about the bad lever. We don't need to talk about your career in shooting, right? Yeah. Um but no, that was, that was the last one on my docket. I wanted to ask why you're such a bully on the internet. Um, you guys, you and, and Ben Stoker have kind of gotten that rap of like 
this crew that's going around telling people they're fucked up, which is true, but I think there needs to be a place for it. But I think that could be a two-way road where people, frankly, they need to fire back and be like, no, if you think this is stupid, this is why it's not, and, and address it directly. I like the live format as well, because then it, you don't have a back and forth on posting on social media for two weeks. It's like, no, let's have a conversation and discussion and then arrive to why this yeah. may or may not I work. I think the unwillingness of guys to do that is more telling on those guys rather than me being direct or aggressive or whatever you want. And for me, it's, I've watched when I wasn't on social media, when I was working, you know, operationally, you watched what was going on. Right. And a lot of it, you, you'd, you'd see a video and you're like, no man, that's wrong. But you just didn't pay attention to it. Yeah. And I think it got the, the community or this industry into a place where no one questioned anything. And to me, like, I'm... Especially given a background and resume. They just took his gospel. That's the thing, man. It's like, you throw out your... There's always somebody that did a little bit more. There's always somebody that's a little bit better practice. And he probably looks like a soccer dad. Yeah. So (laughs) if we're talking about, like, we're talking about today, where we're we're trying to take shooting and training today, what, what guys are able to do in terms of their own skill development and pass that on to others, it has nothing to do with what I did 10 years ago. Right, it's what you do right now. It's what, I, it's what I'm able to deliver right now. And can you articulate that and teach it? Yeah, and that's the thing, you know, it's, that's a whole nother, you know, thing that you're practicing, how you're delivering this information. And, and trust me, it doesn't fall on deaf ears, I get it, how it comes across. To me, it's, it's important to have that direct conversations. I don't think most of the guys in this space that are, that are uh, you know, everybody's supposed to be this alpha male protector, yeah. sheepdog type thing. Right. I would have never thought that calling another grown man toxic would enter your vocabulary, right? You keep, yeah. I mean, you keep coming back to that and, and me calling you a bully was in jest because it's like, dude, it's talking on the internet. Like, that's not a bully, right? A bully beat you up and took your lunch money. That's yeah. what a bully was. And so, like, tough talk is still just talk. Not that you, I don't even even say what you do is tough talk. It's just blunt. And to be frank, I'm for it because I think it rattles everybody up and shakes people up and gets people talking. I think it does. I think, too, if you're if you're really affected by what someone else says, you need to take a look at yourself. Yeah, for sure. You need to come to the range and do like an Osprey event or something. Yeah. Yeah. Come out here, train, you know. But again, too, that's another one. Like guys don't want to compete. They don't want to train because now everyone sees. There's a rank and a score. You, you pull the curtain back. It's out there. It's posted on the Internet. It lives yep. there forever. Absolutely. Well, all right, man. Thanks for coming out on the uh, Do It Live podcast. It was great having you. If you guys like this episode, go ahead, like, and subscribe, and we'll be putting out more of these.